This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Tenakoto Katoa, and welcome in to Half Measures. We are your What to Watch podcast. This is episode 84, and here's my co-host, Mr. Daniel Whiting. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Mr. Paul How are you? I am really good. I'll tell you why I'm good. I feel like I've had one of those weeks, and this is rare, where everything I've watched, I've enjoyed, and I thought was good. And it's not often that happens, so that's the perfect setup for me. Well, I'm here, Paul, to ruin your week. That's what I that's, that's what I need. I need the yin and the yang. I need the balance. So I appreciate that. I'm here for you anytime you need. How are you going, Dan? Yeah, not too bad. Um it's getting it's it's getting warmer. I feel like we're moving into the, the summer. I feel like, you know, we talked about daylight savings last week where we've got the light evenings. It's it's great. I, I love those vibes. Weather forecast brought to you by half measures and Dan on the weather. How about we go to what you're better at than weather, Dan? How about you tell us what have you been watching this week? All right. Well, as uh, luck would have it, I am continuing on my Marvel Cinematic Movie Watch in timeline order, of course. Timeline being the key bit, right? I honestly, I cannot reinforce this enough. Timeline order is a game changer. I previously enjoyed the Marvel movies, but I love the Marvel movies now. Like, I don't know what it is. It's just, I guess because it's, it. when I've watched the movies previously, I've kind of been like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, that must be connected to that. But now watching it in actual timeline, ah, it's heavenly. It It's completely changed my perception of these movies. And so for the rest of my lifetime, Paul, when anybody asks me about these movies, I will be like, you must watch them in timeline order. Can I ask quickly, before you talk about these movies, does this apply, do you think, to many franchises? Because when I think about the Star Wars franchise, I am still a believer for a first-time watch, first-time watch to go production order because you don't want to know that Anakin is Luke's father, so you have that reveal in Empire Strikes Back that Vader is the father. Um, but any time after that, sure, go one to nine. Is it the same for Marvel? Go production order first and then go timeline, or is it not no, the same? No, I I think it's different because I think if you really want the true surprise, go timeline order, but don't watch the post credit scenes because that's where it kind of gets yeah. out of whack and gives yeah. you the spoilers. But I agree with you for Star Wars because I think you're right. Like it was, it was designed and built around the big reveal. And I think you earn your stripes in Star Wars, so you you do it production order, and then you can go timeline. In fact, you can do whatever order you want after that. You've just got to earn your earn your stripes. Earn your stripes. That's that's the key. I like it. Okay, so what which uh, Marvel cinematic movies have we got this week then? Uh so this week I have watched four and a half uh, movies. Classic <laughs> a, half a, measure. <laughs> classic half measure. So this week uh, we started with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, followed by Avengers Age of Ultron, and then Ant-Man, then Captain America Civil War, and then I'm about halfway, three quarters through Black Widow. So I'll just sort of 
touch lightly on each one of these because I know probably for our listeners that if you're not a fan of the Marvel movies, you might be getting sort of sick of me banging on about timeline order, sick of me kind of banging on about these movies, but we're almost there, fam. Like I imagine another podcast or two, I'll, I'll be done. But anyway, so Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, probably my... Like, still a, still a great Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Lots of laughs, lots of fun. Uh, some more, you know, big stars in there with Kurt Russell. Um, but never never sort of really stood out for me as a, as one of my favourites. But again, this time around, a lot of fun. Makes sense on the timeline order. Just, just having a good time. Then probably I feel like the experience dips down a little bit with Avengers Age of Ultron. And... I, this has always been my least favorite Avengers movie. Like it's quite long. It's it's the second outing for the Avengers uh, as a team, and I I said it's a bit of a jewelled sword because what this movie actually made me appreciate so much more is actually Wanda. So obviously from the the Scarlet Witch from the WandaVision TV series, I forgot. I, I forgot or I never noticed the first time mm. actually how many like key scenes that she has in this movie. Um, and actually, they actually really show off her power quite a bit. And it's great to kind of get that light origin story in there. But as far as the the villain goes, I just never got as, as hooked in um, as I did with some of the other ones. But still, had a lot of fun. Then you kind of you change pace a little bit with Ant Man, right? So Ant Man stars Paul Rudd. This is this is really Marvel humor at its peak. Like Paul Rudd, comic genius, fantastic um, choice to play Ant Man. It's got Michael Douglas. Um, it's got oh, what's her name? Um, the uh, Evangeline Lilly Lost. from Lost. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Like yeah. At the end, she becomes the wasp. Like mm. this is this is again. Like I feel like movies like Ant Man are ones that you could actually, if you just wanted a a one shot good time, you can do that with a movie like Ant Man. Um, obviously, in this sense, it's very connected to what happens in the Marvel universe um, going forward. But if you just wanted to test one out, you could do a lot worse than Ant Man. I really enjoyed. I've actually seen. Most of the ones you're talking about today, which is makes the change, right? Uh, Ant Man, I really enjoyed. I love the ending, uh, the Michael Douglas part. I thought that was. I loved Michael Douglas in the movie. That was my main takeaway from that one. The Avengers: Age of Ultron. That was the one. I think I'm going to do a damn wedding here. I'm pretty sure I watched it on a plane, and I'm pretty sure that is not the right place to be watching uh, on a plane. Yeah, on, watching this movie, even though it's Joss Whedon. Um, I agree. I understand what you're saying. It's kind of the weakest. I I kind of got halfway through and was almost bored, which is an unthinkable thing in an action movie. Um, and the, yeah. yeah, the Guardians was good too. Like, yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I'm probably going to get a bit of hate for the, for my commentary on uh, Ultron, but yeah, it was just like a little bit long in parts, and it just didn't it didn't feel like the the well crafted product that we sort of are starting to move into now but but nevertheless it, w- it was still a, a great experience and continuing the story but my absolute like captain america civil war honestly one of the best ever and watching that movie it really just solidified for me 
Captain America is the freaking man. I love the whole story around the the accords, which is basically whether you, you know basically should be registered with you know superhero powers and and the government's involved in just kind of the divide of all the characters. There's a fantastic fight scene uh, at the airport between all these characters. They introduce Spider Man. This is, I would say, my favorite Marvel movie to date. Probably closely followed of the ones that I've been watching, mm-hmm. not all, not all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, closely followed by by Captain Marvel. I just had such a fantastic time. I loved seeing sort of the the turmoil and the fight between these characters, and that it kind of wasn't personal, but they had to stand their ground. We get the introduction of Black Panther. This is a, a top quality movie, and this is some of the Russo brothers' finest work. I remember enjoying this one a lot as well. Even the poster is just um, just really, really good. The red versus blue, the the idea of these people having a falling out. Um, I, I I seem to recall the confrontation between the Captain and Iron Man, and there's he says it's been a long day, and it's just a it's a really, it's a really simple line, but it just really just stays in my mind that scene where they they have this fallout and you know it's about to go down and then suddenly it it does um it's really interesting hearing you talk about it week by week because the thread that I've picked up on other than the surprise for of Captain Marvel for you is Captain America often those movies seem to come out uh, really highly rated the you know the the, the the winter soldier the first avenger they always seem to be high quality and we were talking last week about how maybe Captain America wasn't the go-to character for either of us back in the day. Yeah, and I think Captain America has just really grown on me a lot. And I think what's interesting in, in Civil War is you would kind of actually expect Captain America to be on the side of, yep, let's regulate, let's get everyone locked down. And it's interesting that it's actually Tony who um, is more championing that. And I think the watching these in timeline order again really emphasises why these characters – um, choose the side that they choose and one of the, the when you were talking about the the line that you'll think you, you sort of remembered there's a line which happens in the very first Captain America um, where uh, Steve Rogers like, I can do this all day and like that's the same line he says in the movie when he's fighting Iron Man and it's so good it's, nice. it's, it's the same as uh, uh, with Falcon and Falcon's like when the, when the Captain America's running around the, the gardens and he keeps passing Falcon, he's like, on your left. And it's like, is it, I love how they just sort of keep bringing in these sort of kind of fan um, moments which you can really appreciate and enjoy, and particularly when you're watching them in real close succession. Like, they're actually, they happen all the time and it's, it's so well-crafted. Captain, you seem a little defensive. Well, it's been a long day. That's the Indeed. that's the moment. It's great. Uh, it, even though I need to watch a lot of these movies, and I was actually discussing this with one of our producers earlier today, I feel like I could easily go back and watch this one just by itself because it's it's so good. Again, this one is it's so good, and I I actually like that the focus is on the heroes. Mm. And again, like you need civil war to tell the wider story, so it's pretty important. But the one thing I did want to say is so uh, probably. A dozen podcasts ago, um, I reviewed uh, Black Widow. Mm. And so I was kind of like, oh, am I going to rewatch Black Widow as part of this timeline rewatch? Glad I did, Paul. 
I've got a whole new perspective on it. Like because Black Widow comes right after Civil War, but you've got to think in the standard Marvel experience, like it's five or six years um, later that I'm watching these movies. Um, so this is 2016, and then you know it's 2021 when I'm watching Black Widow, and so it's all out of sync in my mind, doesn't really connect. But because I'm going timeline order like an OG, it's it makes so much sense. It's all clicking into place. It's so amazing because uh, Black Widow is basically she's dealing with the fallout of the Avengers basically breaking up, and it's it just it works so much better. Nice, I love it. I, I, I'm even amazed you even were. Am I going to watch Black Widow as part of this time? Like, like I, I was 100% sure you would. And so it sounds like you make the right decision. I was just looking. Obviously, I'm opening up all these ones as you talk about them. Can I just say, each time I look at the Guardians posters, those Guardians posters are just fantastic. They are great comic book movie, action, popcorn movie. That is brilliant. I just love the look of those posters. I think that's, you know, this is an, another thing, right? Like, you could just jump into Guardians 1 and 2 without any sort of wider context and like it's kind of there if you want it but if you don't not necessarily a, a huge like you probably still could have a good time it's the same with the avengers movie right like you could just watch the avengers movie if you're kind of au fait enough but this you know this marvel universe isn't getting any smaller and so what i quite like is there's different ways to attack it depending on how much time you've got and maybe what interests you have like you might just be like oh, i'm just about thor so you could watch three four, four mm, movies mm. and and have a good time it's interesting, just going back to Ultron as well, because I remember when this came out, I was really big into Blacklist. I loved the Blacklist, and the Blacklist was like real big back in 2015. And so I was so excited that he was the villain in this movie. But again, even that wasn't quite enough. But um, overall, this whole bunch you've watched this week, all it sounds like you've they've come out real good. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, definitely um, Civil War was has been my favourite out of this this week's watch. But that is all I've been watching, apart from our shared TV shows. Nice. Well, I have uh, a couple of things. Firstly, I have a 2020 New Zealand movie um, that I watched this week, uh, Baby Done. Uh, so this is a Kiwi comedy directed by... Uh, New Zealander Curtis Fowle, produced by Taika Waititi. Uh, it's written by New Zealander uh, Sophie Henderson. And of course, it stars New Zealand's Rose Matafeo. So this was as New Zealand as it gets. It was filmed up in Auckland. And so the brief synopsis of this one, uh, a wannabe adventurer Zoe freaks out when she falls pregnant to her long-term boyfriend, Tim. And as Tim embraces the prospect, Zoe attempts to rush through her dreams and becomes somewhat a reluctant parent i i recently watched uh rose Metafeo and i talked about starstruck a few podcasts ago which is still a top 10 series for 2021 for me that's how good i rate that so i was really looking forward to seeing her in this movie and i came into it i'd heard a few people sort of shrug their shoulders well, i didn't hear them shrug their shoulders but i just sort of they, they sort of gave me a so-so reaction to it and so i came you in you heard a thousand a thousand creaks as like all these shoulders kind of rolled back yeah and they were suddenly silenced uh so I, I didn't expect too much i guess is what i'm saying coming in but i honestly think i spoke to the wrong people because i really really enjoyed this it's great fun and yeah it's just a, a, a really good movie about someone who is not really sure that they actually want to be a parent and someone who literally cannot wait. So I'm not sure if this has been on your radar, if you've heard anything about it, but it's a, it's a real fun watch. 
it is something that's kind of like quite often pops up in my feed on Neon. Mm. And I think we might have thought about doing it for movie of the week at one point. That's but right. uh yeah, it's it's kind of uh it's piqued my interest, but I haven't quite it hasn't quite made it to the top of my watch list yet. Yeah, it's I, if you get a chance once you're done with Marvel, I would say give it a consideration. It's um they have this whole um what do you call those people who climb trees? I've forgotten the um arborists. It's it's got this yeah, that whole arborist story throughout, which I've never seen in a movie before, but it, somehow it just works. And the flavor, the the the, the humor is driven by Rose Metafeo's character. So even though she's surrounded by people of all different nationalities, the core feel to this movie remains very, very New Zealand, which I love. And I think I said this last time we talked about her. I always thought of her previously as a comedian who also did acting. And now that with this and Star Trek, that has completely switched. She is now an actress first. And I really hope that, you know, we get to see her in more good movies and TV shows because she's she's funny and she's real good for our New Zealand brand, I think. That's awesome. You've definitely um, piqued my interest. And even just looking at the cast, like, I think what's sometimes funny as a uh, as a Kiwi, we often have the same sort of group of actors that all kind of like kind of weirdly end up rolling around together. Like we've kind of got half a dozen big names and they're often always in the same movies. But like you've said, like Madeline Sammy, uh, Rachel House, like fantastic, fantastic actresses. So yeah, no, there's a yeah. few in there. Kira Forrester. Kira Forrester actually uh, is a friend of ours on social media, which is nice. One of the other in the cast um matthew lewis who i couldn't quite place i looked him up he's actually neville longbottom from harry potter i, I was gonna say to you it looks like matthew lewis is neville longbottom yeah. but i thought nah that, there's no way he that is. neville longbottom <laughs> is in a in the kiwi movie yeah and so he plays the partner he plays the father and the two of them are great together and look this gets 6.1 imdb it's 64 metascore but you know the other week when we watched um what was that costner movie um Oh, uh, let him go. Yeah. We both were saying, like, this is as good as I would expect from this type of movie. It's 100% the same here. This is a lighthearted comedy. It's romance. It's a bit of drama. Good Kiwi humor. And, yeah, definite recommendation. So, yeah, so that's Baby Done. And if you're in New Zealand, as you say, Dan, that's available on Neon. Awesome. And then the second thing uh, I want to talk about and shockingly for me, this is a 2021 movie. Look at me, all current. Um, it stars John David Washington, who we've watched and enjoyed and reviewed in a couple of things recently with Tenet and with The Old Man and the Gun. And that is Beckett. Um, and this is, yeah, this, in a nutshell, this is about a guy called Beckett. He's on holiday in Greece and there's there's this freak car accident and he finds himself at the middle of this massive political conspiracy. And he basically has to run for his life. He's got no support. Not sure who you can trust. There's no way out. And holy heck, Dan, this was a real gem of a find. Honestly, I I went into this again, like with Baby Done, with, with low expectations. It has received a lot of negative reviews. But I promise you, Dan, this is one of those times where I'm right and I swear everyone else has to be wrong because this this is it starts off really plain and ordinary and then it just inexplicably changes gears and just keeps on going and I, look I don't want to oversell it because I can feel I'm doing that now but 
everyone ignore the what have we got here 5.6 out of 10 imdb 52 percent metascore trust me on this one it's tough isn't it because normally when that's the case I will jump over to Rotten Tomatoes, for example, which we know can sometimes be a little bit uh, inaccurate. Yeah. But I would, I'll would look at the audience score to see whether actually other, is the audience more in sync uh, than maybe for more reviewers. But it's actually even a bit more dire over there. So if the pork and hour review is coming in hot, then wow. the system's broken, my friend. I just, I, I don't know what to say. I, I found myself on the edge of my seat literally it was that tense it was i and i i feel like john david washington is is very good in this type of role he really did some things really well and i guess i should probably give a shout out either to the writer or director or both but given he's on the run and he does things really well and i think you'll appreciate this dan because what i mean is when you're on the run and maybe you're hiding behind a tree as a car comes past don't. I've been on the run a bit, so I do appreciate it. <laughs> you know how you don't like it when people take a drink and there's nothing in the cup. Mm. But in a movie, like, don't try and sneak a look, you know, or come out of hiding too early. You know, if there's a car coming in the distance, take cover early. Don't leave it to the last minute. I just feel like he does exactly all the things that I would do if I was on the run, you know, one day. Um, and what I'm... I'm always thinking that people in these types of movies don't do, and that really annoys me when they don't do things well, basic things, and they get caught when they could have avoided it. That's poor writing for me. And this this movie, it's classified on a number of sites as an action crime drama. Those are the three words that, that seems to be thrown around. But if you were to ask me, I wouldn't pick any of those three words. I would go firstly with thriller. That's the vibe I get from this, and I didn't see it coming. And maybe that's why it surprised me. And now I've told you it's a thriller, maybe it will be less so for you because when you watch the first 10 minutes it looks like it could almost be a love story and i was like what is going on here but um yeah look you have piqued my interest this is another one that i've kind of uh seen pop up on my feed it's an john david washington alone is enough of a, a draw card i think for a movie like this like i think he's a fantastic actor i loved him in tenant i think it's worth a look and there's one thing that I know, Paul, is the internet is not always right. Half Measures podcast, on the other hand, is always right. But I've never noticed internet, to be wrong. Not so much. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Uh, like I say, it's a it's got a, uh, it's got to feel a bit like if you think about Harrison Ford in The Fugitive, bit bit of that in there. You know, he's in a country all by himself, cops and the federal agents, good on the run type drama, and yeah. That's Beckett, and that one is available to watch on on Netflix. And yeah, those are the the two things I was going to talk about, other than the three other things that we have watched together. All right, all right. Shall we move on over to The Walking Dead? You know, I want to. You know that it, that is the highlight of the podcast for me always. Season eleven, episode six, on the inside, uh, escaping from walkers. Connie and Virgil hide in a house occupied by mysterious creatures. Uh, Pope tests Daryl's loyalty to the Reapers with a conflicting mission, and Kelly leaves Alexandria in search of Connie. Um, I'm going to start off just by saying I had a great time in this episode, which is something I haven't been able to say for a long time with The Walking Dead, so I'm coming in positive. Dan? 
Paul, last week I mentioned that I watched The Walking Dead first thing in the morning and that was a positive experience for mm. me. I decided not to tempt fate and I almost watched it live on, on TV. Like It was on like 10 past 10. And I was like, nope, don't do it to yourself. And so I, I watched it actually in the morning uh, on the way to work on the train. And probably not the ideal way to watch probably what's one of the top three best episodes ever of The Walking Dead. There we go. <laughs> Fantastic. I think this this was a damn near perfect episode. I think, you know, for the first time kind of ever, The Walking Dead actually introduced like proper horror. That was kind of terrifying. That's it. I think I love the the balance of all of the characters that we we didn't linger too long on any one character, and I think shout out to probably the one of the best scenes in the entire episode um, is when the camera's just on Connie and with Connie obviously being uh, deaf, and it just goes completely silent, and I'm like, is the volume doing what? What's happening? And it was a genuinely terrifying moment as she's trying to work her way through the house. Amazing episode. What I love, Dan, is how in sync we are here, because I made three notes this week for this episode, which is unheard of for me, why I thought it was executed well. So firstly, what you just said, the way we saw parts of the story through the eyes of Connie, with that absolute silence, not with even any incidental music, was really, really effective. Um, secondly, what you said right from the start, they, they really played on that horror uh, genre, that sort of whole vibe. And then thirdly, as you also said, the A and the B stories got equal screen time. They were tense. Um, I, I genuinely didn't know if Daryl's um, risky gamble, essentially, was going was gonna to pay off. Because one of the things I've criticised this show up for, and I think you have a little as well, is that it can be predictable and the fear factor is missing. And so this episode was really good tonic for addressing that for me because it, it really brought those things back well. And on the subject of the horror... I don't know what we're calling these things. The, the synopsis I just read called them the creatures. I, when Diana and I watched it, we were calling them the spider people. I thought the spider people were just absolutely terrifying. And I think maybe if we start asking questions and picking holes, we may be less convinced about them as to you know how there seem to be so many of them and how they've become what they've become. But I thought it was really well done. I, I love that. I think what was great about it with the – I kind of thought of them as uh, like cannibals mm. that were – had basically gone insane and potentially, you know, either raised or, you know, gone crazy. Like isn't there something about if you if you eat human flesh um, that you do actually go crazy or you get super sick? But I could imagine that these – people think like, I kind of like that they weren't they weren't just trying to duplicate walkers they weren't just another group with a mask on they these were generally like messed up spooky people and I just like it was so different I just I, it, it caught me off guard yeah I'm not sure about I think you might be right although I don't have much to go off in terms of cannibals other than both Anthony Hopkins and Maz Mickelson as Hannibal both always seem to be in really good health but um yeah something different uh, I think Diana used the expression raised by zombies. It was kind of like they, you know, um, I, I just really love that. And I just, yeah, the, all the elements came together well. And we, 
And I imagine a lot of the audience really needed that. This one I just see is a 9.2 out of 10. I feel, just to go back to the other story, I feel that Daryl, you know, where he cuts that guy's finger off and he was prepared to take a, you know, a massive chance in doing so because that resulted in intel that could put Maggie and, and Gabriel and, and co in danger. That was a much better story for Daryl. And I felt that I didn't know which way it was going to go at any point. Yeah. And I, I even actually felt like a little bit, uh, you know, like on a scale of one to 10, like probably a one, but a little bit nervous when Maggie and Negan are hiding under the floor. Like, oh, this could go wrong. Like mm. this could really turn into a gunfight really quickly and turn into, I wasn't worried for anyone's lives, but I felt the tension yeah. uh, in the scene. And that's something that we, we don't get to experience very often. The other thing, um, which I feel like they kind of really made it obvious, but just in case um, it didn't connect for people, is the person that Connie was with is the person that Michonne was with when yep. we last saw Michonne. That's right. And I didn't really realize that at first. Like it kind of took took the old brain a while to kind of like get in. Oh, that's right. It was too. But a thing that you could easily miss. But you're exactly right. And I, cause I, I obviously, you know, he came in in season 10 and he was a minor character. And I was actually, because of that, I thought, oh yeah, Virgil's gone. He he is, the spider people are going to get him 100%. He is basically there because Connie is deaf and mute. He, he was almost there to essentially narrate that part of the story for us. Um, otherwise we would have had complete silence which may have been really interesting actually but uh i thought he was gone because so i was really surprised to see him actually survive so again an- another another bit of a shock which we don't get enough of i'll tell you the other thing that i that i want paul and i don't know why i want this all of a sudden but i want the daryl connie relationship back on the table i don't like this lee i don't like uh what she's all about i don't like daryl connie that's that's a fantastic mix yeah, I'm with you. I don't like Lee at all. I, I I think I don't like her because of her character in Bosch, so that's not fair on her. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I I would much rather see her. Uh, sorry, Daryl, go, um, you know, go have a chat to Connie and and see what happens there. I'm with you. Mm. The one thing I that did make me nervous in the episode is when they kind of like, oh, we're running into the haunted house, and it was all kind of a bit spooky. I was like, oh god, this is like the uh, Fear the Walking Dead storyline where Alicia oh, and some yeah. of the others. Kind of, and there's kind of the the creepy old scientist working in there, but it it was so good that it wasn't that story, and it actually was a a fresh take. Exactly right. No, good a good episode. Um, we've got two more to go. Um, no, Paul, this is where we end it. This is where <laughs> the series ends for us. That's right. Never we never again. come back to it. Just leave it on a high, right? Mm. Yeah. So that's TVNZ on demand if you're here in New Zealand. And so yeah, there there are two to go this year, and then next week. We will also be starting up our reviews of The Walking Dead World Beyond as season two, the final season, returns next week. So we'll have uh, we'll have two Walking Deads that cross over. How about that? Well, I'm going to be angry for ages in the podcast. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to be a double anger episode. There's, there's literally no way that we can go into another banger of an episode. Right. And we already know that uh, World Beyond is a... A C-tier Walking Dead. Oh, so, oh. oh, here we go. It's already started. We needed this episode next week. That's what we needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't um, worry, folks. I'll be back to normal soon. <laughs> Should we switch over to something completely different, Dan, and have a chat about Star Wars Visions? 
Yeah, so look, I said something stupid in last week's episode where thought? that will who would have thought unusual for me, um, but that we were going to watch you know episode per week, and then lo and behold, all nine episodes of Star Wars Visions drops for us, and we get to consume them all at once. So, Star Wars Visions is basically a, a Star Wars anthology series uh, that sees basically some of the world's best anime creators bring their talent to the beloved universe. And I what I don't know how this works, Paul, but what I imagine is your Star Wars, you basically pitch to a bunch of like fantastic anime creators and you say to them, you give them the brief, you can tell a Star Wars story, you've got 10 to 15 minutes, um, do it in a style that works for you, tell a story that you want to tell, it doesn't have to be canon at this point, and have fun with it. And I think... That's exactly what we got. So nine episodes, most of them kind of around the sort of 15-minute mark and a, a huge variety of different anime styles. And I think what's interesting about this is it may not be for everyone um, if you're not an anime fan or if you're if you're not even into um, animated content, that, that, that might even be a bit of a distraction. And what probably one of the, the bigger challenges is 15 minutes is not a long time to tell a story. So you have to be super tight on what it is. You need to have a, you need to either come in hot or you need to have a real sort of short, sharp start, middle and end. So I'm intrigued to hear, Paul, what did you think? Well, it's really interesting. You picked up on two things I wanted to talk about. One, it's not canon, at least not at this point. That's the, uh, I've done a fair bit of research on that because you know I'm all about the canon. And secondly, what you talked about, the stories, the length of time, the one thing I think they succeeded really well for me, for at least eight out of nine episodes, I thought they they managed to tell a cohesive story, and and do it within the time frame. Um, I need to preface everything I might say about this, of course, that I've never watched anime before, other than ironically the original two D Star Wars Clone Wars, that very first two D Star Wars, the two seasons that came out in two thousand three. Um, but my is. Is that anime? I, look, I think you're stretching there to be that's anime. I think that's more just that. Oh, God. Uh, and, oh, no. Like, and anime is traditionally uh, Japanese uh, style of, of illustration. And and I, I would say that that was kind of anime-inspired. But um, See, I did my research on this, Dan, because I, I was worried about saying something stupid. And it said that Star Wars Resistance was anime-inspired. Um, but Star Wars Clone Wars 2D was um, anime because it was, and it was also do- developed and drawn by um, Gendi Tarakovsky, who was big on anime. But, All right, but I'll give it to you. But I'm, <laughs> like we said earlier, don't trust the internet. No, look, look, look it, it probably is. It just, uh, I wouldn't have traditionally thought of it as anime. But look, what do I know, Paul? If, if... I was chatting on a different channel this week to our friend Paddy, who was, he's, he recommended this. I was going to mention it in the mailbag, but I mentioned it. He actually said, oh, look, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but check this out. And I said, oh, no, Dan and I are onto it. And I said to him, oh, I haven't seen anime before. Other, you know, And he started talking about what he thought about the Clone Wars and how he loved the character General Grievous in that, and that he thought through the, the medium of anime, he was more effective than through the movie. And so, so yeah, so back to this. <laughs> There was, what was I going to say? I felt that the different styles that you talked about, that was a real plus for me because it wasn't one style of anime. There was those very distinctive 
different. Each creator brought something new to the table. And so that was really, really enjoyable. I really was glad that they were short. And I was also glad that they all came out together at once because it made a it made it an experience in one sort of thing. And, and in that respect, it was really enjoyable. And the other thing was I really enjoyed the guest actors and the actresses that cropped up. So as a Trekkie, of course, I'm going to love seeing George Decay, Mr. Sulu turn up. That's the second time he's been in Star Wars. Lucy Liu, David Harbour, um, Keone Young, who I always remember as Mr. Wu in Deadwood. So um, I didn't realize at first because I had it, I hadn't changed the language. I had the subtitles on. I didn't realize that there was this whole cast of um, actors speaking in English. So I switched through the first episode to to English. I'm going to ask you in a moment, Paul. So I'll give you a second to prepare. I want your top three of the nine. So I think. What's what's great about it is you can really tell the episodes where where people had fun and where people kind of pushed the boundaries of uh, of Star Wars, what it meant to be a Sith, what it meant to be a Jedi, uh, and then there were episodes that I thought kind of played it maybe a little bit more on the safe side. And my actual advice to somebody coming into Star Wars Visions would actually not to be consumed the whole lot in one sitting. I actually think it's kind of probably better spread over a couple of nights because some of the stories and themes are quite similar. And I'm intrigued to sort of see, like it doesn't say that this is a a limited series Mm. on uh, IMDb, so I'm expecting more of these in the future. And I guess a little bit like uh, Love, Death, Robots, as I, I enjoyed kind of the the random not knowing what each episode was going to be and almost trying to uh, anticipate by looking at the animation. So, oh, this one might be about this. And often they were just not, they were completely different to mm. what I expected. Right. So, um, you know, look, I thought it was good. My my advice from the ivory tower of half measures mm-hmm. for future seasons is I would like to see them take more risks. Like I would like some, if this isn't canon, let's get crazy let's get crazy on this storyline and really kind of like mix things up and and, and push it because i think when they did that that's when it was fun and i think what's kind of cool about you know like star wars has some some really big shojin japanese themes running throughout it and what what better way to kind of continue that that legacy with some of these episodes but i just i think just let's get crazy Let's get wild, Paul. In my mind, I was imagining you as Michael Keaton doing the whole, you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. And he's pulling the sword out. I love that. And of course, the George um, Costanza version of that as well. Um, Look, it's interesting what you say, because I, it's really interesting. We're coming from such different perspectives here, because I found it was already quite different. I found the animation style a little jolting at first, mainly because I'm not used to this style. And so for me, um, you know, like I said, Visions was anime inspired, but this this is a whole nether level. And so maybe as a noob, uh, this was a good good pace to start off. Maybe season two cranks it up. I thought that was, that was good. I can give you my three favorite episodes. I've just had a quick look and I think I knew this before I even looked, but I think I would give third place to the very first episode, The Duel. So the the duel, sorry, the, a wandering stranger with mysterious past defends a village from powerful bandits. Then this may be a shocker because I think it's taken a bit of a bashing online. I'd go second place award to episode six, um, TOB1. 
cybernetic boy who dreams of being a Jedi discovers a dangerous truth about his creator. And then my favorite number one spot would be episode five, the ninth Jedi, the daughter of a lightsaber smith is pursued by dark forces while on a dangerous mission. But I will also give a shout out because it gets the worst ratings on anywhere I've looked to episode two, Tatooine Rhapsody, as I did really enjoy having music back in Star Wars so prominently probably for the first time since Return of the Jedi. And it was also great because we got to have Jabba the Hutt and Tim, you know, Tamara Morrison back as um, Boba Fett as well. How about you? No, uh, yeah, good, good. I think um, I had a little laugh to myself when you said it was like it was a, enough of a change for you because it reminded me of the time when you started drinking your tea without sugar. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I thought to myself, oh, this change is we're getting wild in here. Um Okay, so it was a I big change top, in my life then. Thank you. For <laughs> up. Top three for me. I think I'm gonna go number three. I'm gonna go the elder. Oh yeah. Um, with the basically the the older, the, yeah, the the older Sith, Sith Lord. With David Harbour, that one wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Number two, I'd probably go for. Kind of surprisingly, lot and not true, which is basically about the uh, the, the lightsaber smith. Yep, and the the rabbit. And number one for me was the jewel, and I think I just love the the style of the jewel so much. And for me, it's actually the episode that kind of push the push the boundary a little bit more right like that there doesn't actually have to be Sith versus Jedi like it can actually be Sith versus Sith mm, and mm. um yes true. then we was we've also got the umbrella lightsaber like what more could you want yeah I was watching that with my 11 year old son and uh, he said what is that and that's what I said I said it's an umbrella <laughs> that's what it looked like it was brilliant and it like that only works in an animated format, right? Like in an anime is the perfect place to have that type of um action and art style and it, it kind of brings it all together. So yeah, I think this is I think it hasn't like it's reviewed like overall okay uh on IMDB. And I think that's because there's kind of a little bit for everybody in here, but it's also not for everybody at the same time, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I will put myself out there and say that I may not be the most ideal target audience for this, but I had a really good time. My biggest complaint, and if this is my biggest complaint, it can't be too bad. My biggest complaint is, can we please not have 75% of the episodes cracking the, I have a bad feeling about this joke? Because I appreciate, as you say, probably, you know, they, they said to each creator, you know, go do 10, 15 minutes do a story, do your own thing, but let's not overuse that line. It's kind of like, I don't know, that has nothing to do with anime either. That, this could be a season of Clone Wars and I'd be saying the same thing. It's, you know, it's fine in a movie every three years, but when you're watching, as I did, you know, basically back to back, we don't want seven out of nine episodes saying, I have a bad feeling about this. I don't know. It's too much, too much. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It was definitely overused a bit. And I'm I'm kind of intrigued in the process here because, did they kind of like say to everyone, "Here's kind of your toolkit, work within these bounds," or was it actually much more, much more open? And if ironically, just kind of all of those people decided to have that line in there, that's kind of a a crazy coincidence. But yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I would kind of advise against that for for future episodes. But no, look, I think a lot of fun, great, uh, great time. I'll give it three and a half guns. Yeah, I'll I'll go three guns. But I, I certainly have very little complaints. It's uh, I, I really hope there's more. I really hope there's more. 
it doesn't interest you or in pique your interest to watch any anime any additional anime no you're the second person to ask me that this week uh, someone was recommending samurai jack to me um and i i don't know that it has but i think my answer is tinged by the fact that there's so many things i want to watch like all of doctor who and all of the marvel movies and all these other things that i'm like that needs to get in line that's that's the thing if i had all the time in the world i probably would but it's um yeah i would probably go watch clone wars before i would do that i think it's funny because i quite enjoy watching anime but i don't get a lot of time to watch it and i haven't watched a lot like i'm i'm kind of surface level and um i'm going to talk about it one day on the pod but i i haven't got through it enough yet but i've been watching uh, Demon Slayer, which is a, a quite a popular anime series oh, yeah. on on Netflix, and it's like it's a really top quality show. Um, so I, I look forward to discussing that one day when I get a chance to to finish it. But time, time, it's our enemy. Shall we head on over, Dan, to this week's movie of the week? This week we are continuing our James Bond marathon. We're on to the third movie. Skyfall, James Bond's loyalty to M is tested when her past comes back to haunt her. When MI6 comes under attack, 007 must track down and destroy the threat, no matter how personal the cost. This one, obviously starring Daniel Craig, directed by Sam Mendes. What do you think, Paul? Mommy was very bad. What a great line from Javier Bardem. This movie, Dan, is what I call a powerhouse of a movie. This is fantastic. This, for me, is as, as close as we get to a movie that will will rival Casino Royale for me um, in terms of the Daniel Craig movies so far. And I also feel, I feel like it's right up there with the very best Bonds ever in terms of that sort of question as well. It's... It's and I guess it was very successful in terms of money it made. It's the first one ever to crack a billion, and you know, so obviously it was very popular in that respect as well. But um, there was so much about this movie I thought was well done. It takes some of the things that we talked about last week with Quantum of Solace that weren't quite right. It takes set pieces, but it weaves a much more cohesive story around it. And for me, and I won't go into too much detail, but uh, it just brings in. Very simply, two additional characters, Q and Moneypenny, that add so much to this and the timing of them in this franchise is perfect in this movie. The villain is great. The ending is fantastic. This is great. I loved it. Dan? I'm angry at myself, Paul. Uh Uh-oh. So I love Casino Royale. I am a little bit mm, on Quantum of Solace. I'm with you. I forgot how awesome Skyfall is. And when I think James Bond movies in the future, I need to think Skyfall is one that I could pull off the shelf and watch any time. It is a fantastic James Bond movie. I love the pace. I love the, the cast. I love seeing a broken James Bond. I love his relationship with M. Mm. I love everything about this. And I remember when I first saw this in the theatre, 
thinking, oh, we're just going set piece to set piece again. But actually this, you know, watching it in the, the comfort of your own home, and again, the, the, there is that classic sort of recency bias, but this borderline rivals Casino Royale for me. I can't speak more highly about it. And I think you're right. The introduction of Q, perfect. The introduction of Moneypenny, amazing. And I forgot that she was Moneypenny. Like, until the I'm like, oh my God, that's right. It's Moneypenny. Like, incredible. Yeah, it's it's those characters, but it's the new take on it as well, isn't it? So Q, he, you know, he, he, Desmond Llewellyn, who played Q for decades in his own brilliant way, he had to go in a different direction. And Ben Whishaw really does that really really well i think he's great but i really love the way that they've they've written money penny and the nature of her relationship with james bond she's like the only character who calls him james pretty much throughout she has everything you could want from a character in terms of you know she's she's smart she's she's strong she's sassy she's got a bit of m mixed into she's not intimidated by bond she's not in awe of him and as you say, the relationship with M in this movie is as good as it gets um, in terms of the, the the Daniel Craig, Judy Dench relationship. And of course, you know, I think we can talk spoilers in 2012. The death of M is another huge factor in this movie. And they did that so, so well, I thought. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, I even just love the introduction of um, Ralph Fiennes, like, and like just like the way they kind of like nicely kind of segue him in, it's it's just so well done. And I I love that we actually get a bit of James Bond origin story. And when we actually go back to his home in in Scotland and and go to Skyfall, it's just it's so masterfully done. And just with these amazing backdrops, it's a it was a pleasure to rewatch. You're right. The, that that ending that I was talking about that you just referenced Scotland is is so good even to the point of how they justify the use of the the 1960s Aston Martin all of that is perfect um that whole finale in the house the um the character that Albert Finney played is great is great as well the interestingly that part was written with Sean Connery in mind and to be honest whilst it may have been amazing to have had that be Sean Connery's final movie ever. I think ultimately, especially when you think about rewatch value down the years, it may be a bit distracting to have had him there in the house really. But um, no, it was really well done. Last week I was talking about why I didn't think Dominic Green worked as the villain. And uh, this is the opposite. Xavier Bardem is absolutely superb. He would easily make my top five on baddies for sure he's creepy he has that history with them and with with bond that makes him very personally motivated for vengeance and he's just a quality actor and it all just comes together so so well yeah and i think you've got to give him credit for the scene where he removes his kind of like jaw plate right where he's kind of been, been damaged uh by the, the the failed cyanide capsule in the tooth such a, a classic bond uh spy uh, escape route and it was, it was just so well done i i feel like I, I can't give this film enough praise this is a, a four guns akimbo experience all the way oh yeah it, it is all the guns for sure it's um i would dare say i'd need to look at them all but i would dare say that this is definitely top five of the 24 that we've had so far possibly even in in the top three that's how strong it is and um yeah 
Ray Fine's coming in. He's he's so good. He's and I hope because you know typically if you think about Bernard Lee who played M for so so long back in the day, and then Judy Dench who came in and played M for so so long. I hope that as we go from Daniel Craig to another James Bond, that I hope we get another long run for um, Ray Fine's to continue across Bonds. It's going to be interesting, right? Because I feel like I might have only seen Skyfall maybe once or twice. And I definitely, I have very little memories of the fourth the James Bond film. Spectre. Uh, of Spectre. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how that goes because I don't overly recall having a, a, a gushing so much over over the movie so it'll be i'm looking forward to the the, the next movie and then of course we'll, we're going to have the the final daniel craig movie no time to die so great times it's all very exciting i without talking about spectre too much one thing i do recall is i actually think ray finds is even better inspector whether the movie is as good that's another conversation but i actually think he really ramps up in that movie so i'm looking forward to that one next week all right, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Let's go. All right, so 2020 was all about Tiger King. It looks like we're getting a Tiger King season two coming to Netflix. Netflix is promising even more madness. That should be uh, a good time. Definitely one I'm going to watch. Love me a little bit of Tiger King. Should be cool. Um, it looks like Daniel Craig, speaking of James Bond, has been given an honorary rank in the British Navy. So in the, the Daniel Craig, James Bond movies, he's the rank of commander and he's been honorary given that, that, that title by the Navy, which I think is, that's cool. That is pretty I'm cool. An on, I'm an honorary commander. I love that. It's great. It's great. Uh, also, there's a bit more James Bond news. So the... There's been long rumoured who will be the next James Bond. And recently there's actually been a bit of news that the search for the new James Bond will not commence until 2022, which is basically obviously when No Time to Die has had its run at the cinema. They obviously don't want to distract audiences or, you know, create a, a conversation or marketing or, the, you know, you know that whoever they pick, the internet is going to, critique into the ground so um i'm intrigued to see what what direction they go with it i've definitely got a few people i'd like to see as bond but we'll see how that progresses uh and two final bits of news so cobra kai season four premiere date revealed alongside a brand new trailer we're big fans of cobra kai here on the pod and you'll be able to watch season four on the 31st of december 2021 couldn't think of a better way to bring in the new year there is so much to look forward to, isn't it? And that is right top of the pile. I think that is that's really exciting. I've, and I feel I feel I'm in a really strong position because I've just just watched these three as well. It's great, indeed. And final bit of news for me: so Nintendo has recently announced they are doing a new animated movie, and they've got a pretty interesting um, one eyebrow raised star-studded cast behind it. So Chris Pratt is going to play Mario. Wow. Wow. Char well, I know, right? Charlie Day is going to play Luigi. Anna Taylor-Joy from The Queen's Gambit mm. is going to play Peach. Jack Black is going to play Bowser. Seth Rogen, Donkey Kong. The list goes on. Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. That makes a lot more sense, perhaps, than Chris Pratt originally as, uh, as the first choice. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the, Chris Pratt, but yeah. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's just a an interesting choice in this day and age for an Italian plumber character. Yeah, but we'll, that's right. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Any news over on your end, Paul? Yeah, a couple of things here. So Russell T Davies is back. Uh, he's back at the helm of Doctor Who. Uh, he was there previously, and he's back with uh, with Bad Wolf to produce. That's pretty big news in in the world of who especially with with a new doctor on the horizon again much like bond no decision has been made no casting uh, lots of rumors but nothing nothing at this point um the new bosch spin-off series has begun filming and the creator michael connolly has been sharing some images uh of of that which is uh, quite exciting stranger things 4 trailer has launched i haven't watched it i did post it in our discord channel because you know i'm I'm contracted to do that by our producers but i didn't watch the trailer um i wanted to go into this season blind um and the big news for big big i think it's big news is babylon 5 is getting a reboot now this is a 90s sci-fi show which i always thought had a good cast had a good story but it always had for me subpar sets dodgy cheap looking uniforms the effects weren't quite that good and this could be a chance to put it all right because it's not a continuation it's a it's a reboot and i love that because it makes me think of things like battle galactica and how they rebooted that and what is more extraordinary for me is that j michael straczynski is again running the show and i don't think it's often that you see the same person who did the show back in the day do the reboot of their own franchise. So I'm quite excited about that because I've always been on the fringes of B5, but I think this could be potentially one for me. I gave B5, as you cool kids call it, a go back in, back in the day because I worked with somebody who just raved and raved about this show. I couldn't have had a worse time, Paul. <laughs> it, was, it was not for me. So the idea of them rebooting it... Um, who knows? Who knows? But no doubt going to get me some hate. But yeah, just a, a sci-fi series I, I've really struggled with. It's interesting, right? Because if you think about Battlestar Galactica, and we both love the, the reimagined series of 2003, was it? I think if you and I were to sit down and watch the original 70s Battlestar, um, whilst there are probably some cult classic things in there we would love, um, those two things are very different experiences. So I wonder if given that Glenn A. Larson was attached to both BSGs, I wonder if having, I don't know. It sounds like it may not be for you, Dan, was the, was the vibe I'm getting. I don't know. I don't know. Even the Doom Space Opera. I, uh, yep. Next, please. Next. Okay. Um, so let's head on over to our mailbag. Um, and Dan, I will start with a request, if I may, not from me. Uh, this actually comes all the way from Stuart Island. At the very, very bottom of New Zealand, bottom of the earth, probably. And this is from Nika Solomon, who has a recommendation for us. She's been watching a series on Neon called Years and Years, which stars um, Emma Thompson. It also stars Rory Kinnear, who plays Tanner, who's been across all the Bond movies and will be seeing in Spectre and in No Time to Die. And it's a British show um, all about... uh, how Britain is turning into a dictatorship and the lives of a typically busy family from Manchester converge on one crucial night. And so it sounds interesting. She wants us to watch it and then she wants us to review it. So, you know, it's in the mailbag. I'm reading it out. 
I'm intrigued. I just uh, quick search. Yeah, look, let's get amongst it. I, I love a good um, listener recommendation, so we'll give it a whirl. Definitely. Six episodes on there and we can do that. Another one, Dan. This, the audience are demanding this week and I love it. Bruce uh, has been in touch once again and uh, this time he has for us um, another recommendation. This one here, he says, can I recommend that you check out the BBC, BBC show Vigil, uh, which is on TVNZ, uh, which I uh, have best seen described as uh, Broadchurch Below Decks and Line of Duty on a Submarine. Um, so, and then he says, hope you don't have any claustrophobia issues. I, I really like that. Um, I feel like, I feel like firstly, Bruce is kind of a, a combo of the best of both of us because, you know, he he's into his fast and his furious and he's into his, his British crime dramas. It's the best of both of us. And I've actually started this one. I started episode one, funnily enough, last night. So I'm already on to this one. When you say Bruce, are you meaning the Bruce Gray? Oh, sorry. I should give him the full title, the Sir Bruce Gray, correct? Sir Bruce Gray of the, a founding member of the Half Measures podcast community. Correct. He's a... He's a saint amongst men, Paul. It is a memorable man because when you when you when you start a podcast and then someone writes into you for the first time, you never forget your first time, as they say. <laughs> Let's not go there. And, and another one to check out. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, what else have we got in there? Um, so Nat from Wellington, uh, he he enjoyed last week's pod. He said it was a fun episode, team. Then he added, "The more I reflect on Iron Man three. The more this is a top three Marvel film from Iron Man 1 through to Endgame, it's so underrated. Dan, would you concur with that placing? Of uh, look, Nat, you need to go and watch Timeline Order, the only way to watch, and <laughs> then we need to sit down and have a conversation. I, well, it depends on what angle he's coming from. I think from a, a character development point of view, Iron Man 3 is pretty critical in, I guess, Tony's journey of power and potentially um, some of his rationale and thinking, particularly in movies like, like Civil War. So I think important in that sense. As far as the Iron Man movies go, yeah, it's 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 hard to put it up there for me, but look, I still had a good time watching it. Like I would, you know, I would easily give it a three, three yeah, maybe a three guns on the four guns of combo scale. So, look, Nat, we might have to talk about this. Okay, well, we'll leave it there for now, and we'll continue this conversation through some maybe through some social media. Um, what else have I got here? So, oh, this is interesting. So, Michael James Shaw, who you may know Dan from several Marvel movies and productions, including Infinity War and Endgame. He also plays uh, Mercer in The Walking Dead, and he liked um, our Walking Dead post of last week's episode, which of course he he featured in quite heavily with his sort of uh, his back and forth with Princess in that episode. So that was pretty cool. We also had a lot of people sharing our podcast uh, link this week, possibly more shares than ever before across social media for our interview with um, Jessica Lynn Verdi last week, which is so nice to see. So we had the folk at Roddenberry.com, uh, the cast of Ripley Improv, Frank Todaro, who is a friend of Jessica's. Um, and we even had uh, the Klingon Chancellor Laurel, Mary Shifo from Star Trek Discovery as well sharing it. So that's really cool. And don't forget Jessica, Mary, and the rest of the Heartbeats cast are live on Twitch every Saturday, 1 p.m. New Zealand time, which is 6 p.m. Uh, Friday, 
US time or Pacific time. Uh, <laughs> there's no other time, right? It doesn't even. It's just Pacific. It's, it's, that's right. It's, it's just Pacific. Yeah. Um, that's confusing, but it was a, a great episode with uh, Jessica. It was so so much fun having her on the pod. Um, definitely go and show those guys some love if you can work out what time it's on that's right. here in New Zealand. <laughs> One o'clock Saturday, New Zealand. That's all you need to know, right? Okay. Okay. Got you. <laughs> Um, and no, it was great because we've we've had a lot of her castmates now uh, following us on our socials as well, which is which is fantastic. Now, the other thing, of course, for our mailbag is our peak performance. Last week was Sir Ian McKellen, and we had a couple of people write in. We had uh, from Auckland, uh, we had Megan or Megan, sorry, not sure how you pronounce it. Um, she went with King Lear. Um, we had Ryan from California go with Lord of the Rings. Jamie from Ohio. Also went with Gandalf. Paddy from Time Traveling Tink Podcast cleverly gave us his three, two, one of roles, not films. So he went with King Lear as well. Gandalf and peak performance was Magneto without specifying the specific movies. So nicely done. And thank you to everyone who got in touch with us as always. That's the mailbag this week. Amazing. Shall we head on over to everybody's favorite peak performance? Indeed. So just like our movie of the week, Dan and I take it in turns each week to choose someone, an actor, an actress, a director, a producer, for us to look back on their career and say, hey, what's the best thing they've ever done? And this week, well, it makes sense, right? We 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 had Christopher Plummer, we had Sir Ian McKellen. It would feel wrong to go with anyone other than Sir Patrick Stewart to complete a trio of great uh, actors to all hail from the Royal Shakespeare Company. So, um, Sir Patrick Stewart, Dan. I imagine this is going to be a real tough choice for you, Paul. Like, there's a lot of uh, Patrick Stewart content that I, I imagine it's going to be tough for you to have a, a, a one-two. I may surprise you. All right. Well, look, I'm going to, you know, bring this conversation down to the gutter. And I'm going to go with my number two. I'm actually going to go with... Um, Sir Patrick Stewart's role in the animated TV show American Dad. Amazing. I, I look. I, I'm still an, a novice in the in the Star Trek world, so it's hard for me to really I, look. I imagine if I was that far into the Star Trek universe, I, w- I would maybe have some different choices. But I just want to give it a shout out for a show like American Dad, having someone as top tier as. Um, so Patrick Stewart is it's just so good. He he plays um Stan's boss on the show and I, I think just his voice is so iconic and his his comedy is deadpan and uh, he's fantastic. But my number one movie is 2017's Logan. So this is a continuation of the kind of the x-men universe but i like to think of this as a as a standalone x-men film and probably one of the this is one of the greats paul this even though this isn't kind of officially canon in the and then the new marvel universe absolutely top tier professor x sort of near the the end of his life amazing storytelling the whole thing caught me by surprise um, I've talked about this a few times on the pod, but I, I went into this movie having not even seen the trailer. And everyone in here, and particularly Sir Patrick Stewart, fantastic. Fantastic. Couldn't couldn't think of a better way to kind of um, play out 
the the end of Wolverine. So for me, American Dad and Logan. How about yourself? I love that. I love that. Um, firstly, you're more than entitled to go for American Dad, given that last week I put Sir Ian McKellen, honourable mention, with, um, uh, what was it, Extras, you know, the Ricky Gervais comedy. So I am curious about your selection, though, in terms of what made his part in American Dad better than his part in Family Guy, because I imagine that the, the, the comedy value is similar. Am I right or wrong? Or? Um, well, I guess he's got a more in in my view, a, a very consistent role within American Dad. Okay. Like American Dad isn't a, a TV show that I would ever say I sort of sat down and watched whole season sort of back to back, but it's a show you can kind of like occasionally watch an episode back when we had normal television and it, it would always be good value and there would always be like fantastic interactions between um, Seth MacFarlane, Stan and um, Patrick Stewart. So I, I think just probably more consistent. Nice. Good. Okay. Glad we cleared that up. I um, I want to start off, if I may, just quickly. I actually watched Patrick Stewart perform live on stage in 1993 at the Old Vic in London. 1993 was when Star Trek The Next Generation ended as well. So he's in peak Picard mode at this point. And so that would truly be my peak performance because nothing will beat that. And I just wanted to, as, as a Trekkie growing up in the 80s and 90s, this was a a chance of a lifetime and i went to see him perform a christmas carol on stage by himself it's a one-man show and he acts out all the characters by himself and i went with a mate and the two of us had tickets in like the second row and i swear to you dan he's performing this scene in a christmas carol where he's he's right at the front of the stage he's kneeling down and he's like talking to the ghost of christmas past or whatever it is in the and he's looking forward into this fireplace or something. There's nothing there. It's just he's just staring forward. And where we're sat, he's staring right, right at us for like a couple of seconds. And of course, he's in character, so he just holds this dead serious look on his face. And it was like I was in Captain Picard's ready room, and he was livid with me. It is. It was just amazing. It was so surreal. It was terrifying. It was just great. And I just had to share it because it's. Uh, I don't have the best memory, but that's something that will stay with me forever. I think. Um, yeah. I would uh, counter that you probably do have the best memory, and I think you can remember very micro details about uh, different actors, movies, scenes. So Yeah, actually, you're right around actors and movies. Like um, when I'm watching movies with my, my son, and he's like, um, oh, so what, what movie's uh, this? Like, oh, this is 2012. He goes, oh, what year was the last one? I'm like, oh, that's 2009. And I can just, I can, honestly, I could go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire I can, on movies, but anything of any use forget about it it actually made me think just before you go to your number one that patrick stewart is someone to me who has always always looks the same like i imagine the man that you saw in front of you on the stage 30 ish years ago looks exactly the same today and it's incredible something shocking dan because uh, I was talking about this with Diana today, I showed her a picture of Patrick Stewart from the very first episode of Star Trek in 1987. He was 47 years old when he started as Captain Picard. And with all due respect to this man, I feel like that's a very, that is exceptionally close to where I am right now. And I feel like I might look a little younger. I'd like to think if I don't want to blow my trumpet too much, I'm just shocked. You, you, you've aged in the course of doing this podcast over the last hour and 10 minutes, so... I will next week when we've got two Walking Deads. Let's get into my big performance because, look, you're right. Um, he hasn't aged too much, which is why he's so great in some of his current stuff. 
Uh, I wasn't sure if my live on stage would count as an honorable mention, so I also had 2017's Logan as a backup because everything you just said, I just thought he was so good as the cantankerous old guy. I loved the fact that that movie is R-rated because it just opened up a little bit more room for him to go a bit further with some things that the older Charles wanted to say um, and not have to hold back. So that was my honorable mention there. The peak performance is probably no surprise to you that I would go with Jean-Luc Picard. Um, but unlike Paddy, I won't be so cheeky. I will specify because he's one of the, if not the, but certainly one of the finest captains in Star Trek in 55 years. I challenged myself to bring it down to a single episode or movie. And in the end, I decided to go with his most recent performance in the episode Remembrance that aired last year in the first season of Picard. And it's so strong because he gets ambushed into talking about something that happened 20 years since we last saw him, something that cuts him to the core and he stayed silent about it deliberately, but he gets ambushed and forced to talk about it. And Patrick Stewart delivers the best Picard performance since he started playing him back in 87. He's so majestic. I think because he's older, he sort of carries even more more grandeur. He just seems to almost get better. With you know, he can't do the action scenes, but he just seems to get better. I'm so hyped for season two of Picard the start of 2021 alongside Cobra Kai and, and other things uh, and season three is in production now as well but yeah Captain Picard in Remembrance would be my peak great shout I'll tell you something Paul and I don't want to end the podcast on a down buzz but it makes me sad when I think of all these great actors that we've loved growing up and how old they're getting yeah. like you know I think um, Ian McKellen Patrick Stewart uh, Harrison Ford Clint Eastwood it, it, like it's uh, sometimes I, I I just dread the day I'll, I'll be having a, a fantastic day and I'll open up the the front page of the internet and we would have lost one of the greats that's, and I'm not ready for that. It gets me all the time if if you ever go into the search on twin, on Twitter and there's a hashtag and Harrison Ford was trending and you just for a second think what is that and then you check it and it's pictures of him in Indiana Jones five and you're like oh thank goodness because yeah it's uh, it's always a worry when you see Clint Eastwood trending. Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. Thanks again to everyone who got involved in our mailbag. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter or Instagram at halfmeasurespod. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa and Linda Tavner. We really appreciate your support. If you would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next time, everyone, adios.